Well, church, this morning we are absolutely privileged. Do you know why we're privileged today? We get to open up the Word of God. Amen? Um, I love the Word, and I know you love the Word, and uh, that we don't just get to open it here. We get to open the Word of God, uh, hopefully on our own time at home as well. Um, and, uh, but, but this is a special time because we are gathered together in congregation. This is the assembly of God drawn out by the Holy Spirit, called according to the grace of Jesus Christ. And so uh, there's a very real sense when the church gathers for this meeting right here that we are actually in government session in the kingdom of God. And so uh, that is why this time is so sacred as we open up the word together. So I would encourage you to grab a hold of your Bible and turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to continue where Pastor Michael left off last week with verse 10. But uh, before we jump right into that, I want to ask a question as you're turning there. And that question is, what does it mean to live a good life? What does it mean to, give a, to live a good life or a righteous life? And in fact, I would love to have a little participation. This may not necessarily be like from your perspective, but let's think about what our culture says about what it looks like, what it means to live a good life. What are the messages that we're getting from our culture today about what it means to live a good life? To do, to do what feels good to you and bring you pleasure. Uh, I hear that. That's, that's a pretty common way of thinking. What else? The richer and the more successful you are, the better your life is. I think we hear that a lot. We unfortunately hear that from some preachers on TV too. Uh, the American dream, yeah. Which uh, we're grateful to live in America, but that can become an idol really fast, can't it? Education. Yeah, I uh, have, as, as someone who's experienced more education than I really even want to think about sometimes. Um, you know, schools are real excited about, you know, like especially higher education. They're really excited about their place in society. I think a lot of people have that in mind. That to become more educated is the good life. I was a philosophy major, you know, in my undergraduate, and I spent a lot of time talking about the good life. That's a real thing with the Greeks. What does it mean to... to be good or to be virtuous. And, you know, it's a good conversation. I'm glad we are having that conversation in Western culture. But if you noticed, every one of those things that we mentioned are centered on self. What I can do, what I can produce. And I would say that that's, if we had to summarize what, what most people think of as living the good life is that we would somehow create or craft for ourselves the life we always wanted. Whatever that is. Um, uh, pastor and author John Ortberg actually wrote a book a few years back called The Life You've Always Wanted. But it's actually a book about spiritual disciplines because what he came to realize as a pastor and as a believer walking with Jesus for years is that actually we think we want this life that we're building that's, that, that, is, uh, that is defined by things. 
and wealth and, and, and the appearance of happiness, the American dream, whatever those are, you know, monetary, uh, you know, wealth, things like that. We, that's what we think we want. But actually, at a deep spiritual level, we actually crave something much more. We actually crave fulfillment. And we have no idea how to define it. And that's why as a society, we're chasing after all these rabbit tails all the time. You know, here, 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 we, here we are, you know, well, you know, I don't feel very happy right now, so, so, so maybe, uh, maybe I misunderstood my sexuality. Well, I'm not feeling very happy right now, so I guess I should divorce my spouse and find somebody who will make me happy. Well, well I don't feel very happy right now, so... Um, uh, you know what? I really need that new mid-engine Corvette. That thing is spicy, you know? Um, did that slip out? That, that might have been something subconscious. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. You guys know I'm not into sports cars. I'm into 4 by 4s Anyway, but, uh, you know, but, but there are different things that we gravitate towards. And, and, then, and then we begin actually bending the rules so that we can sort of include as many people's version of happiness as possible so we throw vir- we throw virtue classical virtue out the window we throw classical morality out the window and when when it's as the apostle paul wrote when our god is our stomach we'll go anywhere to try and get full but we know that the good life looks significantly different than the life the world is desiring. And the scriptures are pretty clear with us. In fact, that's a lot of what the Apostle Paul is writing about here. How do you live a righteous life? In fact, that's the title of today's message is The Righteous Life. What does it look like to live the righteous life? Well, we're going to read these scriptures out of Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. And then we're going to do a little bit of uh, soul searching and Oh, actually, we're going to do some spirit searching. That's what we're going to do. We're going to allow the spirit to search us. How about that? And then he's going to reveal to us what we need to do in order to be in greater conformity with the way of Jesus. But here's what the apostle writes in Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible today because it's the Bible I grew up with and I'm feeling nostalgic. So, um, this, guys, this is actually the Bible I bought myself when I, did, when I got my first pastorate. It's been a few years ago. So, but I was really excited, and I wanted it to look pretty. And Anyway, um, for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. However, the law is not of faith. Oh, sorry, I already read that one. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. Let's go to the Lord. 
Father, we, we, uh, we need your help this morning to discern what it is that you're trying to say th- to us through your holy scriptures. We know that in these words, Christ is revealed to us. And Lord, also you reveal to us what is deficient in us so that you might help us to be more full of you. To trust ourselves less than to trust in you more. So Father, I pray that you would lay our hearts bare this morning. Lord, only you can make this message matter for the kingdom. Only you can be the, the, the spiritual surgeon that you are and cut deep within our hearts and reveal what is broken and what needs to be repaired. So Lord, we ask that you would do that this morning. I pray that this message would be personalized to every person in this place, that they would hear exactly what they need to hear in order to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel which we've received. And Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit for this moment, that we would be full of you and ready to receive fullness from you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, it's pretty clear that Paul has a different idea of the righteous life or the good life, isn't it? Because uh, right off the bat, we saw in this scripture that Paul says that all, the, all people who rely on doing the works of the law are under a curse. Now, you may think, well, you know, what does that have to do with the way that most people live? I mean, most people aren't really considering the Bible at all. So, whether they follow the books, you know, the first five books, which we, can, we, we call the books of the law in the Old Testament, whether they're following those, you know, those, the letters of the law there, that, that's not something that, that really matters to most people. So you may say, well, what does this have to do with the average person then? If, we're not, if the average person's not a Jew or a Christian? Well, because the, the truth is everybody is under some kind of law. And ultimately, we're all under the law of God, right? Everybody is, whether we realize it or not. But everybody's under some kind of a law. In other words, everyone is, is, has some kind of a rule of life that they think, if I live this way, my life's going to count. Some people think about God. Some people, you know, I always hear this when, when, uh, when, when somebody dies who's not a Christian. I go to a funeral. I've done a couple of funerals this way, uh, which, which are, it's hard to do. By the way, I, it, that's the most difficult funeral is to do a funeral for an unbeliever. Um, but, but where you just hear people say, well, they were a good person, so they must be in heaven. By what metric are we judging their life? That's a question. Because Paul is very clear that those who rely on doing the works of the law in order to produce a righteous life are under a curse. Because again, he says it is written, cursed is everyone who does not keep on, on doing everything written in the book of the law. So whether we're talking about God's law or some kind of a law you've created to govern your own life, the reality is not a single one of us are able to hold up to the standards that have been set. Now we know ultimately, again, that it's God's law that we're judged by, 
not some kind of a moral system set up by societies or, or some kind of personal rule of life that someone has developed. That's not ultimately going to be the thing that we're judged by. Matter of fact, you want to know really what we're judged by is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He's the only one who's ever produced a life of perfect righteousness. So if somebody's life even falls one strand short of measuring up to the life of Christ, then that person is under the curse of the law. Essentially, Paul's asking the question, do you think you make God happy by being a good little boy or girl? God says that those who use effort as a way to gain righteousness are, again, they're cursed. And that's quite a statement, really. I think it's a statement that we would really struggle culturally to grasp. But if we're trying to earn it, and yet we fail at one point, it causes the entire thing to break down like a house of cards when you pull the bottom card out. And, and honestly, in our day, this, this whole idea has been escalated to an even greater level than maybe we've ever seen. Because society is just continuing to create its own rules. You, you need to be tolerant. You can't like this particular politician, but this one over here is okay. It's like a whole new list of taboos that we've come up with as a, as a society. But let's just be honest. No one in the culture is even able to be consistent with even the ones that the culture's creating, right? Try being tolerant, actually tolerant, for just a few days and holding yourself to that standard. There's always going to be somebody who comes around and ticks you off who frustrates you, who disagrees with you, always. And do you include that person too? Well, no, of course not. That person, that person's a bigot, okay? Like, they don't agree with me, so they're a bigot. And that's the new standard that we're setting. If you don't believe me, get on Facebook and just hang around for a couple days. It probably won't even take that long. You'll find it. Or just search hashtag bigot on Twitter and see what pulls up. <laughs> You're probably going to, yeah, I won't even go into detail about what would probably pop up. But most likely you would find that as a Christian you're included in the list. <laughs> so, but um, the reality is we, but nobody's consistent with this. We all fail, even in the world standards, to hold up. At some, uh, you know, at some point we're failing. So we have, we, we see that we have a fundamental human problem here. If we want to be good based on what we do, we literally have to be perfect, but that's not possible. We're not even able to hold up to our own standards, much less God's standard of perfection. You would have had to have lived your life perfect with no lapses ever. But literally, no one has ever pulled this off except Jesus. And uh, no one can. And it follows that we're all toast if this is all we have. But, of course, we don't stop here. Paul goes on and he says in verse 11 that it's clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous one will live by faith. Now that's actually a quote from the Old Testament. The righteous person will live by faith. This is a, one of the great statements in all of history. It truly is. Uh, many, many people have been absolutely wrecked by this statement. And it is repeated more than once in Paul's letters, by the way. 
Martin Luther was converted by reading this in Romans chapter 1, this exact same phrase, the righteous will live by faith. Martin Luther had been living his whole life trying to get God's favor. So much so that he had become a Catholic priest because he thought, if I join the priesthood, then surely God will accept me. And do you know what he found in the priesthood? He worked harder than ever, and he still felt like he was far from hitting the mark. He still had sin. He, still had, he would still find himself broken. And so he would go into his room. He would beat himself up, like literally beat himself. And he would put himself in the, like, under all this you know, penance and having to do better works and just be a better person so that he could live up to God's standard. And he failed. And he was at the end of his rope. And he was reading the scriptures. That's a really good place to go when you're at the end of your rope, by the way. He was reading the scriptures. And he was in Romans. And he read, the righteous will live by faith. And the Spirit struck him in that moment. And Martin Luther realized for the first time ever that all of his trying was never going to get him there. He had to start trusting not on what he could produce, but what on Jesus Christ had already done on his behalf. And he was converted. So this is a pretty different concept. Because we could even ask the question, well, what in the world is faith? If the righteous person will live by faith, I, I really need to know what faith actually is. Well, faith is trusting in something outside of yourself. And we all do this all the time, don't we? Even if we don't realize it, everybody in the world lives by faith to some extent. When I go to a restaurant and I order a steak, I'm trusting that the chef or the, you know, whoever's on the grill back there is going to have taken care of the meat and cooked it well enough that I'm not going to get sick. That is faith, because I don't know that person. It's not like I walk into a restaurant and be like, hey, excuse me, I, really, I, need, to, I need to meet your cook, and I'm going to need some references, and uh, I, I really, I'm going to need a background check before I eat this food here, because I really need to know. No, I'm trusting that that's already been done, that somebody in the management has hired a good person, and that person's not going to poison me. That's faith. I trust bridges. I drive across bridges. In fact, on a regular basis, I drive across the old bridge over here in Bethany, over by Overholster. I love that bridge. My kids, like, beg me to drive over that bridge. When I was a kid, here's, here's, here's the deal. I begged my parents to drive over that bridge, and my grandparents. And we was, I don't know why. It's a big deal in my life. Something about driving over a big, rusty bridge that's still standing. It's really great. Um, but you know what? I trust that bridge. Now, I haven't always trusted that bridge, can I be honest with you? There was a time when a friend of my dad, uh, one of his coworkers, drove his big, big old work truck over that bridge, and a piece of the road fell out. Now, it wasn't long after that that the city uh, decided, hey, maybe we should redo that thing, <laughs> you know? And they did. They redid the bridge, and they brought in engineers, and the roadway was completely redone, and actually, the bridge no longer relies on the old support structure. It's actually got a new support structure, and the really cool old bridge part is just there for looks, which we're cool with. We're, we're happy with modern engineering, you know what I mean? Because that thing was a part of the original Route 66, and that was a day ago, you know? So uh, 
but I trust bridges when I drive over them. Why do I trust bridges? Well, because I trust that there was an engineer who worked on that project, maybe a team of engineers, and, and they worked with a good contractor who used good materials, and they followed the plan, and they did a good job and put together a good product so that when I drive across that bridge, it's safe. That's faith. I don't know the engineer who designed the bridge. I don't know what contractor built it. Honestly, I don't even know if they used good steel when they built it. But I trust that they did. I trust that the concrete I'm driving over is good concrete. That's faith. Now, what about God? I trust God because He's good. I trust God because He created the universe and He knows all things. He's wise. I trust God because He knows me. He created me. And He knows the perfect scenario which I need to be in if, I want, if, he, if I'm going to thrive. God knows. He understands me. He knows my limitations. He knows areas of my life that are broken and need to be brought into greater, greater communion with Christ so they can be transformed. I trust Him. I trust His plan. I have faith in God that He knows what's up with me and He knows how to bring me to the other side. Now, the Bible says that He doesn't only save us, but He also preserves us by the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Scriptures say more than once that all who are in Christ will persevere until the last day because of the presence of the Spirit and the sanctifying work of God. Not because I'm impressive. Not because I'm able to now, you know, now that I'm a Christian, I can, I've got it together, so now I can complete myself by doing good works. In fact, I remember we had a message about that not too long ago. You know, maybe last week. <laughs> oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Have you who began by the Spirit, are you not going to complete yourself by the flesh? No. It's not how it works. We will not only be began by the Spirit, but we will be finished by the Spirit too. And not based upon how we tow the line as far as obedience to the law. That ship has sailed. The first time you sinned, that ship sailed. And by the way, you couldn't have not sinned because you are a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve. To quote C.S. Lewis, I have to from time to time. That, that's who you are. We are children of our first parents, and they passed on the sin bug to us, and we can't help ourselves. Even under the sanctifying work of the Spirit, we still find ourselves slipping back into sin patterns. So, did you think without the Spirit that we could have somehow obeyed the law perfectly enough to have made it there? It's impossible. And that's what Paul is reminding us of. You can't do it. But in verse 12, he says, But the law is not based on faith. But the one who does the works of the law will live by them. Understand this. This is a different, the law is a totally different system. It's not based on faith. Because we're not trusting something outside or someone outside of ourselves. But we're trusting in ourselves. The law is betting on yourself. And that is a terrible bet to make. The one who does the works of the law will live by them. But understand that law-oriented living, if it's not based on faith, then it's clear it is not the way of the righteous because as we just heard, the righteous person will live by faith. So the only way that you can be righteous is not 
to exert everything that you have into making sure you do all the right things and follow all the rules. But the only way you can truly be righteous is by trusting in Christ. And he makes you righteous. Law-oriented living is all about what I can do, how I can produce. It is self-centered rather than Christ-centered. And the trap here is that I must rely on my own skill. Imagine building for yourself a massive tower, but you have no background in engineering or construction. What is going to happen to that tower? It is not going to go well. You don't know what, what you don't understand, you know, what load-bearing rules. And you don't understand, you know, that you can't just go get quickrete from the Home Depot to make your, your concrete walls. It's got to be a special construction grade. You, you know, you don't realize the sort of supports that you're going to need to make sure that thing holds up or what grade steel you're going to need or how deep the foundation needs to go. So the reality is if we're trying to build it for ourselves, there is no possible way any of us will ever have the, the, the knowledge that is deep enough to know how to build a good life on our own. So even if we could build something, it's not going to turn out well. It's always going to be marred by sin and broken. But then imagine that you had this, you know, you, you kind of had an idea of what it looked like, but instead of trying to build it yourself, you turned everything over to somebody who actually knew what they were doing, a master engineer, a master craftsman, and you let him make the rules for you. And that is essentially what living by faith is. I'm taking the blueprints of my life that I was trying to draw for myself, and I'm going to hand them to Jesus and say, you're the master now. I'm taking my crown because I was trying to rule myself and I'm handing it to Jesus and I'm saying, listen, I, I still want to work, but I don't want to work for myself anymore. I want you to be my king and I'll be your vassal. I will follow you. And we let Jesus build us. We let Jesus teach us what it looks like to live the righteous life. You guys remember last week we talked about, or well, two weeks ago, we talked about the lump of clay. We talked about being at rest in God. And, and we said, you know, a lump of clay can't become art on its own. It has to be at rest on the wheel. And then the master craftsman crafts it into art. But law-oriented people, rather than being that piece of clay at rest, allowing the master, the hands of the artist, to craft it and mold it. Law-oriented people are like if that clay, that clay decided that it would craft itself. Could it ever do it? Of course not. The clay doesn't have the capacity to craft itself, but that's what law-oriented people are trying to do. They're saying, well, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'm going to build myself out into the person, into the righteous person that I could be. But no matter how strong the will of the clay is, it's, well, of course, it's an inanimate object, but let's just pretend we're in the VeggieTales world and inanimate objects can be alive, okay? Um, no matter how strong the will of the clay is, it can never turn itself into art, but rather it must rest while the craftsman crafts it. We have to cease from trying to make ourselves righteous and rest in the arms of Jesus if we want to become righteous. Law-oriented people are asserting themselves to be sure. Let's not, let's not sell them short. They're trying really hard. 
The problem is that it's not more striving, but more rest that is required. We must rest in the grace of our God by faith and allow him to shape us into the image of Jesus. And he works from the inside out. He produces something in us. It doesn't mean that we're idle. It doesn't mean that we're apathetic and we do nothing. It's just that we're going to allow the Spirit to be the one who moves us and who works on us, and we're just going to go wherever he tells us to. And he will form something special from us. All right, let's look at the last two verses here. 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. This is so important because you remember earlier, Paul said that the one who tries to uh, live by the law is under a curse. And yet here we see that Christ became a curse. The curse of the law is that no matter how much effort we give it, we can never have what it takes to live up to it. The reason why a person can never be righteous living that way is because of this, because we can never quite get there. We can never live up to it. Each one of us lacks what we need from the get-go. We just don't have the skill. And no matter how hard we try, we're never going to be able to build a structure that can stand. So, if we think about that tower, And imagine what it looked like for us to turn it over to Jesus. Surely we were going to join him in the work. But what if we let him build it? What if we let him build it in us? What if we let him be the master? Remembering that by redeeming us, Christ has both, listen, this is important. Christ has both purchased our loan and burned the note all at the same time. Realize that in all of our striving and all we ever could do was break the law and therefore incur more debt. Every time we did it, we incurred more debt. And we never could pay it off because that's not the way those balances work. We're always in balance. We can never get to the point where we're holy or healthy enough to do it. Once we're tainted, we're tainted. And our debt was far beyond us. But by redeeming us, Christ has purchased both our loan and burned or he has purchased our loan and burned the note because we could never live up to the law and we compiled so much debt that it was outside of our realm of of ability. It reminds me of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So the scriptures say that those who are under the law are under a curse. The cross is a result of the law broken. Jesus didn't deserve it. We did. But he became our curse so that we could have his life. You see, this is, this is life transforming. I'll try not to spill my water. This is life transforming if we can come to the place where we truly grasp this and apply it to our lives. If we understand that everything that had to be done for us to be righteous was already accomplished by Jesus, so that we no longer have to work in order to be righteous, but we are, we are righteous if we're in Christ, we've been gifted that in Him, then we can live a whole different kind of way. 
Because when I do good, I'm not striving to try and be good. I'm doing good because I am good in Christ. I have a new identity. I've been renamed. I was dead in my sins and trespasses, but now I've been made alive in Jesus Christ. There's not a single dead person who can ever resurrect themselves. But Christ rose from the dead and has proved to us that even though our efforts were never any good by living a perfect life and dying the death we deserve, Jesus purchased our brokenness and set us free from it. And the resurrection is proof that that is true. So let's look at that last scripture in verse 14. He says that all this is in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles so that we could receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. Now again, what's going on here? We no longer trust in what we can do, but rather in what Christ has already done on our behalf, and it changes everything. It changes absolutely everything. And not only that, but Christ has opened the door for people to come to faith from all nationalities, from all backgrounds, because you don't have to put all the dots. You don't have to, you don't have to connect every dot and cross every T in order to enter into the people of God. Rather, you just have to trust by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and rest in him and allow him to work on you and follow him wherever he takes you. So I want to put a couple of thoughts out there. One is, this is, this is an important thought that I think everyone can do. This is a test. A test is of, of who is at the center of your faith whether it's Christ or you, is look at yourself and ask, what is the greater focus in your life? Are you more focused on what you can accomplish for God, or are you more focused on what he has accomplished on your behalf? And again, I'm not, I don't want to, you know, somehow make this seem like I'm saying we, we need to, we, we can have a lazy Christianity, because let me tell you that if you've been transformed by the gospel, you're not the same person anymore. But it's a different frame of reference that you're working from. Because if we're still striving to try to earn God's favor, then our focus is probably on what we're trying to accomplish for God. You know, we're like, we're like it's the difference between Mary and Martha. You know, Martha was, Martha was all, she was all tense and doing all these things probably because, she, you know, hey, Jesus is here. We can't, we can't, we can't, like, we got to have a feast. We got to, we got to put on a good show. And Mary just sat at his feet and said, man. I just have to be with Jesus. It's not like Mary was lazy. She was, she, was being, she was spending time with the master. But she was resting with the master. Not working for him all the time. So it's just something to consider. Something to consider. Um, where the focus of your faith is. And um, last thing here. I'm going to give you a focus statement. This is sort of a summary of everything that I just said. So it's, it's just a one-liner. 
but I think it's helpful to sort of have a one-liner. To, to, that way, at least, there's one thing you can take away if you don't have the perfect memory that retains all of these thoughts that were just thrown your way. Okay, so here's the focus statement. The righteous, li- the righteous life isn't primarily about what you can do, but it's about trusting what Jesus has done on your behalf. Okay. The righteous life isn't primarily about what you can do, but about trusting what Jesus has done on your behalf. Okay. Now, once we're there, we live from that. Now, I'm going to tie this back to what we talked about a couple weeks ago. We work from our rest. We don't rest to work. We work from our rest. So, again, if your soul is at rest in Jesus, you work out of that. But most people aren't living that way. Most people are work, 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 work till they burn out. And spiritually, it's also true. But if we understand that we have favor and love and grace in Jesus, he's already done everything necessary on our behalf for us to be righteous before the Father, then we can be at rest. And we work out of that identity of rest. I have what I need in Jesus. And now I work with him, not for him. I work as his brother, not as his slave. In fact, he told us that, right? I now call you brothers. And he invited us into his ministry. That's pretty cool. Okay, I'm not going to say any more because I think I've said it all, all, all that I got right now. So, um, but, but here's what I want to I throw out there to you today. If, if the Lord is speaking to you in some way, maybe, maybe your soul has just been wrapped up tight and you've been striving and you've just been, maybe you've been trying to make up for some way that you've lacked in your walk with Christ. Man, Jesus says, you're released from that. I've already done it. Do you hear hear what he's saying to us through Paul's words? He said, I've already done it for you. I am your righteousness. Come rest in me, my child. Are you at rest in Christ today? Do you want to be more at rest in Christ today? I think the Lord wants to minister to some people today. So as we, as we, as we finish up with this part of our service, you know, as always, we'll be hanging around. Pastor Richard, myself, you know, Pastor Michael, Pastor Dwight, he's back with the kids, but he'll be back over here. And, and we're just going to be here to minister to you. If you want prayer to, to just have a restful spirit in Jesus, to rely on him, if you want prayer for sickness, whatever, we're going to be here for you today. And we want to we wanna help you. We want to minister to you. Because I think the Holy Spirit wants to minister to you today. So let's pray. Lord, we hear your word. And, and this is actually really hard for us, Lord. <laughs> it's hard for us to rest in you. It's, it's hard for us to grasp what it actually means to be under the saving work of Jesus. Because, Lord, I know that there are times when we, even those of us who've walked with you for a long time, we find ourselves once again striving like we're earning something from you instead of just being at rest and living life in you. 
And um, Lord, I know that's not your will for us. And so you remind us today. You're, you have reminded us today, and you continue to remind us because you want us to be able to work out of our rest. You want us to live our a holy life out of our relationship with Christ, not try to be holy to get Christ. And so help us, Lord, to understand that we are no longer under the law, but we're under grace. And we're not under the curse anymore, but we're under the, the work of Jesus, and we've been set free. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. We are righteous because Christ is righteous, and we have been brought into Christ. Lord, may we live out this identity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We love you guys, and i um, thankful for time with you today. I hope and pray that God, and that God not only put this in your ears, but I pray that it trickles into your heart today too. And I pray for the rest of Jesus to be the thing that you work from and the peace that you have in your heart. God bless and go in peace.